We're back, and we are joined by one of my favorite people. His name is Robert Joseph. He formerly served, among many, many other things, as the Undersecretary of State for, well, arms control, among other international policy challenges, um, a position that has been held by a number of luminaries, including John Bolton. He has served in the Defense Department. He has served at the National Security Council. He is these days a senior fellow with the National Institute for Public Policy, terrific organization in Washington, D.C. And he has been teaching at Southwest Missouri University for some time in its uh, highly acclaimed defense studies program. He is, uh, among other things, uh, one of the country's preeminent authorities, I believe, on arms control and its serious deficiencies. And I want to talk with him about that in the context of a problem that has seemingly just burst forth, uh, surprising a lot of people. I call it the Chinese nuclear breakout. Um, I must say, I've been anticipating it for quite some time, but um, it has taken a number of our colleagues, and especially in the arms control community, I think a bit by surprise that suddenly there have turned up 250 silos that apparently are meant for intercontinental ballistic missiles capable of each of them uh, delivering something like 10 nuclear warheads against targets, well, here in the United States. His name is Robert Joseph. I am very pleased to have him back uh, for an extended conversation about the challenge that these developments, among others, out of China represent. And Bob, it's good to have you back on Secure Freedom Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Frank, thank you. It's great to be back with you. Appreciate the invitation. Always a pleasure. Let me ask you, Bob, uh, it has been something of a canonical assertion of the arms controllers that the Chinese Communist Party has 200, maybe 300 nuclear weapons, and it will always be that way, no matter what. Um, the development of these silos uh, speaks otherwise. It's not the only evidence that the Chinese actually have long since left that level of forces in the rearview mirror. But talk a bit about the Chinese nuclear capability, um, what it is at the moment, as best we can tell, and what you think is in the offing now. Well, Frank, first of all, I think the narrative about China having 200 to 300 uh, nuclear weapons uh, goes back for decades. And it's not simply confined, unfortunately, to the arms control community. It has also been adopted by not many in the intelligence community. And we've seen this refrain over and over that China has nothing but a minimum deterrent, a minimum deterrent that would only be used in retaliation if the United States were to use nuclear weapons against it. Well, I tell you, uh, the recent revelation uh, about New, new ICBM fields, you mentioned up to 250 silos, uh, about uh, all of the uh, new uh, uh, types of nuclear weapons that they're developing and deploying, uh, including uh, new uh, submarine uh, launch capabilities, uh, new bomber capabilities, uh, hypersonics with nuclear tips, nuclear tip cruise missiles. It's the whole the whole spectrum of nuclear capabilities that, that, that are being developed. 
And this runs counter to that narrative, and it runs counter to the narrative of no first use, which has also been a canonical element of the arms control community's description of China. Well, just last week, uh, the Chinese threatened first use against Japan if uh, Japan were to intervene, if China were to attack Taiwan. Uh, It was repeated nuclear use, no less. It was not just a, a single strike, but you're absolutely right. It was a first strike. It's a first strike. And, you know, if, if, if you look back, you can see that the Chinese have often made statements that are contrary to their propaganda point about no first use, a propaganda point that is absolutely accepted uh, by the arms control community and, again, by the intelligence community. I can't tell you how many briefings I've had in which the Chinese nuclear force is described as a minimal deterrent uh, that will not... Counter-city at that, as I understand it. Well, yes, absolutely counter-city. Absolutely. But now they're clearly building a counter-force capability. And Bob, one other data point here that I just have to insert, because, um, again, you'd think that this would have really roused at the minimum, the intelligence community to a different attitude. But um, a former colleague of ours in the Pentagon, Phil Carber, uh, at Georgetown University several years ago now, um, got his students, graduate and undergraduate students, together for a project. And they tumbled upon the fact that it had been missed by our intelligence agencies, as I understand it, that there were 3,000 miles of hardened underground tunnels that the Chinese Communist Party had built, evidently for the purpose of concealing and moving about, among other things, probably some substantial number of intercontinental range ballistic missiles. Now, again, this belies the idea that they only had two to 300 warheads. You wouldn't go to that trouble and expense, um, for heaven's sakes, to... uh, to hide just that small number of weapons, would you? And and if if that's all true, Bob, wasn't that a canary in the mine shaft years ago about what the Chinese were actually up to? Well, I think it was one of many canaries that go again that go back decades. We've seen indicators that are inconsistent with this with this notion that the, that there are two hundred to three hundred and it's a minimal deterrent. But today, I think there is a consensus. If you look at what's being produced by the arms control community, that China is moving forward very aggressively. Uh, Admiral Richard, uh, the Stratcom commander, has described it as breathtaking, saying that the stockpile will be double or triple or quadruple. Uh, you know, Gen- General Hyten has made the comment that uh, China you know, uh, is building nuclear weapons faster than any nation on the planet. Uh, there, there is this realization now that China is moving very quickly, and I would say as part of a broader strategy, because it's not just nuclear force. The, they, they now have more ships in their navy than we do. Uh, you know, their, their air force is expanding. Their missile force continues to expand. And remember, today, today China has, uh, I'm told, 95 percent of the world's INF missiles. 
Okay, the intermediate range missiles, which we which we were barred from having under uh, the INF treaty that you and I worked on many decades ago. So, Bob, let, but let me add just one other piece of this, which, to your point, is so important. I think we're looking at really a comprehensive effort by the Chinese Communist Party to have dominant power militarily, and one other element of it is what they're doing to have dominant positions in space as well. Um, That's not often discussed in the context of strategic nuclear capabilities, but it certainly has relevance, does it not? It does, as does cyber and so many other aspects of the Chinese overall strategy to replace the United States to replace us as the preeminent power in the Asia-Pacific area. And that makes it sound benign. It's 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 really a hostile takeover of that status, is it not? And and the idea being to dominate, if not to actually destroy us in the process. And I think they're they're well on their way. Or and at least having the capability to do it. That's the that's the troubling thing. Bob, there's also a, a an interesting development. I, I saw just the other day that uh, the Chinese have for the first time admitted Russian personnel onto Chinese soil for the purposes of conducting joint strategic nuclear exercises in which they simulate attacks against our country. Joint attacks. This isn't the first time that they've had joint exercises, but it apparently is the first time that Russians have been allowed into China for the purpose. Uh, talk a little bit about these exercises, Bob. Um, there's an old army line about, um, you know, uh, train as you intend to fight. Um, what do they tell us about how not just the Chinese, but the Russians as well, jointly perhaps may intend to fight us with nuclear weapons? Well, it's, it, it's very clear that the military and political relationship between Moscow and Beijing has expanded very fast and very, very deep. And that includes uh, not just conventional military exercises. And by the way, there's one going on, I believe, as we speak, uh, but, also, but also, you know, across the board. And this really raises, you know, questions about the futility of having a strategic stability dialogue with Russia, which was just kicked off last month in Geneva. I mean, how do you have strategic stability discussions with Russia leaving China out? And China has no interest in, in, in nuclear arms control. They've made that very clear over and over and over again. Uh, and, you know, this, this whole notion of strategic stability is one that troubles me because even if, even if it's isolated to, to Russia, Russia is not interested in strategic stability. Russia is interested in, in superiority. For Russia, stability comes from being superior to the United States. And if you include China, Particularly in the nuclear uh, capability area, because that's really the place they can compete. And not only compete, but in my view, they have succeeded in achieving superiority to date if you include all of their nu- nuclear forces. And and the modernity of their nuclear forces and the vast variety of them as well. Some 22 systems, I believe, have been introduced in the new modernization program that they've, uh, I think, just about completed. But Bob, to this point, because I, I think, again, the arms controllers have largely run the table on all of this for so many years. The notion has been 
that the bilateral relationship between the United States and the Russians, um, the Soviets before them, had to be governed by these arms control agreements. You've been involved in many of them, the negotiation of them or efforts to ensure compliance with them, among other things. But in point of fact, uh, that was always in part at least um, rationalized by the fact that the Chinese weren't real players. They had these you know, minimal deterrent forces, as you say. It seems as though they were absolutely wrong about the Russians having any interest in parity and stability and, you know, reducing forces in ways that would uh, uh, minimize the danger to each of us on the one hand, and, and that the Chinese have been stealing a march on us all this while. Right. Arms control has paid tremendous dividends for Russia and has allowed Russia, in my view, to achieve strategic superiority. And if you just look at New START from, from 2010, what happened under New START? We went down, they went up, Russia went up, and China was left to continue its nuclear expansion, which is now, again, described as breathtaking. But Bob, also speak to this, because you're, you're a serious student of these matters, as well as a practitioner of nuclear deterrent policy over the years. Uh, what does it mean that the Russians and Chinese have both overtaken us dramatically, I think, in terms of uh, the modernity of our forces? What, what does it mean that ours are essentially forces that were deployed when you and I were working together in the Pentagon during the Reagan administration and haven't been improved very much since? Well, I think if you go back to sort of the end of the Cold War and you look at what happened, what happened in the United States in the context of nuclear weapons was we lost our technical capability. Clearly, that's the case if you look at the laboratory. We lost our operational capability. Nuclear weapons were just considered you know, something, something that would never be used and that was just out there in case of some sort of you know, uh, existential threat. And we lost our policy capability. What happened with the Russians and the Chinese? The Russians built up their capabilities to a point where they now exceed ours, if you consider, again, the overall uh, arsenal of nuclear forces. And now we see... Including 10,000 tactical nuclear weapons, something like that, right? Well, you know, I think I've seen estimates from, you know, 4,000 to, to as much as 10,000. And, and as for the Chinese, well, they, they continued their, their modernization all along. And we haven't even talked about nuclear testing, which we haven't done. And which the Russians and the Chinese have, and the fact that the Chinese just recently expanded their nuclear test site, and that's all part of this 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 incredible uh, breakout of, of of nuclear capability. And again, Bob, the implications of all of this are are what, as you see them? Well, I think I think the implications of the Chinese expansion are if we don't if we don't take action now. And it's beyond modernizing our triad, our our strategic forces. If if we don't put together a credible, capable, comprehensive strategy for dealing with the threat by 2049, which is the year that President Xi has declared China will be a, a world power, and not only a world power, I believe he means the world power. Uh, we will lose. We will lose in the Asia Pacific, and I think with regard to Russia. And Russia, you know, Russia is an interesting case because it, without nuclear, one can one would have to consider it a, a declining power. 
But even there, I mean, I think I think we're the loser in Europe, too. And if, if I'm President Putin and I'm looking at the United States right now and we're saying, well, we need to reduce reliance on nuclear weapons and we need to reduce the role and reduce the numbers of nuclear weapons. I, I you know, I, I couldn't be more appreciative if I if I uh, if I'm Putin and I, I would I would become very tempted uh, to test NATO. Uh, and if he does that, uh, we might very well lose Europe, too. This is, it seems, his clear purpose uh, to uh, reverse what he considered to be the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century, namely the fall of the Soviet Union, and uh, to do it at our expense in a way that will both humiliate us and restore uh, you know, Russian greatness. And uh, I think it's folly. Uh, to think that uh, these seeming opportunities to advance such agendas, uh, whether it's Chinese world domination or whether it's the Soviet era, you know, empire, uh, in circumstances in which they s seem uh, no longer to be deterred, we ought to anticipate they will be pursuing these kinds of policies uh, aggressively. Bob, let me ask you quickly before we have to let you go, one last question. Um, the Chinese have tipped their mitt in a way about something that we had also, I think, long ignored about their programs. Um, with the outbreak of the COVID-19, or I call it the Chinese Communist Party virus, we've had cause to address ourselves much more directly uh, at long last to the biological weapons program of communist China. And there are reports, including some attributed to a former defense minister of China, that the object of their biological weapons program has been to depopulate the United States, going back to Deng Xiaoping, who started the thing illegally. The Thought being that they would like to colonize the place and biological weapons, as they have demonstrated with COVID, um, can help accomplish that and leave the place essentially intact, which is a lot better than a radioactive mess, which is what would happen if they were to launch nuclear weapons against us, needless to say. What do we know about their BW program, Bob? And how seriously do you take this as a at least a part of this Chinese plans for dismantling us and uh, dominating the world. Well, I have no doubt that China, like Russia, has and continues to aggressively pursue biological warfare capabilities. And here again, arms control plays a role because there is an arms control convention, which we follow scrupulously, that outlaws biological weapons and research on offensive biological weapons as well. Uh, we uh, bought into that. Uh, the Russians signed up. This was still in the days of the Soviet Union. And lo and behold, the Soviet Union goes away. And what do we do? What do we find? Well, not only did the Russians not give up their biological program, they expanded it many, many fold. I mean, thousands of individuals, you know, working on the worst sorts of agents one could find. Now, we don't have that transparency into China, but You'd have to be a fool not to not not to believe that China is aggressively pursuing a whole series of biological agents, agents that we we couldn't contemplate in the case of Russia. We we, we just couldn't. We didn't we didn't contemplate the use of SS18, their large ICBM capabilities. You know, uh, having having biological warheads on them. Uh, 
to ensure that after the nuclear strike, anybody that was still alive would be killed by, by the biological agent. Uh, this is how they think. This, and, 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 you know, but the Chinese, I believe, think the same way. Okay, we, again, we have much transparency, uh, but I think, you know, if COVID-19 doesn't wake us up, nothing will. Bob, we have to leave it at that. I just want to say thank you so much for uh, both your time and your, your leadership on these issues over the years and your clarity, particularly about how arms control actually has worked in practice with totalitarian, closed, and dangerous regimes like those of, uh, well, the former Soviet Union, Russia, now uh, China. And, uh, you know, that clarity is so needed, Bob, because I don't need to tell you that uh, despite this very checkered record to be charitable of the arms controllers um, on so many of these fronts, they still enjoy a dominance that I believe is contributing materially to our lack of preparedness um, in our nuclear deterrent posture, our, our infrastructure to support it, our you know policy approach, as you say, to uh, assure that we have the kinds of deterrents that we need. Next up, we'll speak with Charles Sam Fattis about uh, the enemy within, who they are. We'll surprise you right after this. <laughs> 